invite you to, to listen now for the word of the Lord to you uh, through these verses from Luke's gospel. One day, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Holy, gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was reminded this week of something I heard recently by theologian Ashley Knoll, who said that the glory of God, the glory of God is to love the unworthy. The glory of God is to love the unworthy, which is to say that God is most God when he loves sinners. The theological word that we have for this, just as a quick refresher, is grace. And this story suggests that one of the most powerful ways that we can experience the grace of God is through the gift of friendship. That friends activate God's grace in our lives. Luke tells us that Jesus was moved by their faith, plural. Doesn't say that he was moved by his faith. He was moved by their faith. It's one of the only places, if not the only place, that Jesus forgives sin on account of the faith of others. Jesus saw their faith, and then the miracle happened. A few years ago, my wife, Abby, and I were invited to attend the wedding of our dear friend, Eustace, uh, in Germany. Eustace is a, a German Lutheran pastor whom we had met during our time in seminary while he was studying in the, the U.S. Uh, for a year. Here's a photo of, of the reception. We were in a small village in uh, Bavaria, uh, right at the base of the Alps. It was called Spielmannsau. Anybody? My German's terrible, so it, I could be pronouncing it wrong. Uh, neither Abby nor I had ever uh, been to a German wedding, and so we didn't really know what to expect. Um, there were a lot of differences, uh, primarily that it was in German. Um, <laughs> but, to, but two, besides the obvious, uh, clearly stood out to me. Uh, the first is that the reception at a German wedding begins with cake. But unlike weddings here, uh, there isn't just one wedding cake. There are as many wedding cakes as there are guests because everybody brings a cake. And we're not talking like homemade cakes here. We're talking like best bakery in town cakes. And then for like two to three hours, we just ate cake. <laughs> and we drank coffee uh, all before dinner. Like I, I did not know what was happening. It was amazing. And as cool as that was, the most striking and really the most impactful difference for me was that unlike our American ceremonies where toasts are typically offered uh, to the couple from the guests, Eustace and Anne, our, friend, uh, our friends who were the couple in this case, 
took time while we were eating copious amounts of cake to introduce every single person in attendance, to toast to their friendship, to tell a story about them and how meaningful uh, they, they were to them. Um, and to get a good idea of that, I'm just gonna do that now with everybody here. <laughs> Starting with you, Ethan. Uh, no, um, I think this would have been a much better experience to me had, again, I understood any German, because it went on also for hours. But it was such uh, a beautiful gesture. I was moved by it. Um, and I remember thinking that the reason I was so moved by it is that we don't have many occasions to celebrate friendship. We have occasions to celebrate romantic love, like a wedding, anniversaries, but we don't have like marked occasions, maybe outside of birthdays, to celebrate friendship. Usually when we're celebrating friendship, it's kind of too late, right? A eulogy is usually where we celebrate friendship the most. In his book, The Four Loves, um, which is kind of the go-to book for uh, thinking about Christian friendship for the last at least uh, century or so, C.S. Lewis uh, described friendship as the least natural form of love, the least natural form of love, by which he meant that uh, it's not necessary in the same way that uh, romantic love or familial love is. Romantic love um, and the love between parents and children, between siblings, um, it's natural. It, it, there's something inside of us that drives us to it. Not so with friendship, C.S. Lewis thought. We often treat friendship as either a luxury or as a kind of like lower level uh, or lower uh, form of love. I mean, think about when um, maybe you notice two single people are kind of uh, hanging out a lot, spending a lot of time together, and it seems like they maybe have some romantic interests. You might ask, you know, what's going on here? You know, are you guys dating? And if the answer is no, what do they say? We're just friends. We're just friends. It always kind of bothered Lewis that we don't regard friendship highly enough because friendship is an extraordinary gift. And it's extraordinary precisely because it's not necessary. It's freely chosen. It's an occasion of grace. Of course, not all friendships are the same. Most of the friendships that uh, we have are what Arthur Brooks calls deal friends. Deal friends. Friendships that aren't really uh, ends in themselves, but are kind of instrumental. They're useful to our lives in some way. A colleague who's going to help us kind of get to the next step in our career, uh, maybe someone to work out with, um, maybe a teammate, maybe a, a fellow parent who's just helping you survive, um, toddlers. <laughs> Let that sink in that I would, could use a friend there. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with these kinds of friendships. I mean, usually they're, they're beneficial to, to both parties, like they're, they're mutually beneficial. In fact, um, honestly, like one of the things I most missed during the pandemic uh, were these kind of casual friendships, right? Friendships that, um, you know, you weren't going to share everything with these people, but whose presence lifted you in some way, seeing them regularly, maybe on the patio or at school. 
One of the favorite parts of my week right now is standing outside of my son's uh, soccer practice, right outside the fence. We have a good view of, of their team and uh, just sitting out there and talking with two or three other dads, you know, commenting on everything the coach is doing wrong um, <laughs> and reliving kind of like our glory days playing, you know. They're always much better in retrospect. Um, Brooks says that the deal friends probably aren't the friends that we want to hang out with one-on-one. -on -one. Like that would be maybe kind of awkward. Um, but they're usually, and they're usually not friends that kind of meet us in our most difficult circumstances, right? It's hard to make and to keep friends as we age too. I think this is especially true for men. Uh, John Mulaney, uh, who's a comedian, once joked, my dad has no friends. Your dad has no friends either. And if you think your dad has friends, you're wrong. Your mom has friends, and they have husbands. Those are not your dad's friends. <laughs> you're laughing, because it's true. It's true. You feel it. It's a funny joke, but it stings a bit because it's true. About 2,000 years ago, Plutarch uh, wrote that friendship is a rare thing. It's a rare thing. And he thought it was rare for a, a couple of different reasons, really three reasons. One is that it takes a lot of trust. It takes a lot of trust to befriend someone, to, to receive uh, friends, friendship from someone. And secondly, most people just aren't that trustworthy, <laughs> is what Plutarch thought. Um, and three, it takes time, right? It takes time. Friendship doesn't happen overnight. It takes spending years together, going through kind of the mundane parts of our lives, some crises. It just takes time to build friends. So Plutarch thought that the number of friends we might have is seven, which is a pretty specific number, um, I'll grant you. But maybe as you kind of maybe begin to think about the friendships that you have, take an inventory of your friends, you see his point. You see his point. How many of us have friends who would carry us when we don't have the power to carry ourselves? How many of us have friends who uh, would do whatever they could to heal us? How many of us have friends who would intervene in our lives to save our life? And maybe even a harder question, how many of us are that friend to someone else? Plutarch is right. Friendship requires trust. It takes a lot of trust to be in a friendship. And that's because friendship is super risky. It's just risky. It was risky for this man to let himself be carried. It was enormous risk to let himself believe, to hope that wherever they were taking him would result in his healing. And it was risky for the men to, to carry him to Jesus, believing that he could heal him. I mean, even riskier to tear off a roof of a stranger's house. Seems like a pretty big risk. What if Jesus ignored them? What, uh, what if he couldn't help him? What if the homeowner, like, went berserk. I don't know. If you're wondering why you might not have the kind of friendships that you want to have right now, you might consider that it's because you aren't willing to take a risk. 
What would happen if you did? I'll tell you that a miracle is at least in the realm of possibility. As much as there is to celebrate in this passage about the power of friendship, there's also a kind of challenge here, isn't there? There are people all around us who need to be carried. The uh, effects of this pandemic have left many of us exhausted, struggling, uh, in need of encouragement, in need of a friend to reach out, to just check in with us. There was a, a fantastic article in The Atlantic this week that a friend sent to me that really resonated with me. And the title of it was that self-care isn't the fix for the late pandemic malaise. We can't fix ourselves. We can't fix the exhaustion ourselves with the massage or a few hours of me time or a quick weekend away. Believe me, I've, I've tried. <laughs> tried just a quick weekend away and I'm still very tired. The subtitle of the article and really the point was this, what we need is to take care of others. The author was making the argument that caring for others, being a friend to others, might actually, instead of draining us further, might actually lift our spirits and energize us. What we need is friends to care for, and we need friends to care for us. Maybe this was your experience, but it, it certainly was mine. During the pandemic, um, we couldn't be there for each other in all the ways that we wanted to be, in all the ways that we usually are. We just couldn't do it. Maybe, um, maybe there were times when people didn't show up for you in a way that you had hoped they would during the pandemic. If you haven't checked in on your friends in a while, just to see how they're doing, consider that maybe God is using this story to uh, nudge you to do that. It certainly has been uh, that nudge for me. When we were putting together small groups here at Covenant, we had a lot of conversations about um, what we wanted them to be like. Would they be Bible studies? Would they be book clubs, discussion groups, um, kind of like service teams? Would they be kind of a haphazard group therapy? Um, and I think maybe they have all of those elements, but fundamentally, what I hope they are is a group of friends. Because I think that friendship is a spiritual practice. Our friends are a means of grace to us. They're a means of grace to us. And I want to do everything I can to create more opportunities for people to practice friendship. One thing that uh, I wish we could see in this text, like I wish Luke would have hung around a, a bit more to describe the reaction of the friends after he was healed. Right? But they just kind of disappear from the frame, from view. Um, maybe they immediately began to put the roof back together. Maybe they like, left because they didn't want to deal with the consequences. We don't know. Uh, I imagine, and again, this is just kind of a holy imagination, that they must have been included in the crowd, right? who Luke tells us left in amazement. They must have somehow been changed by this experience, right? I mean, how could they not? Friendship changes everyone those who offer it, as well as those who receive it. And sometimes I think it's those who are a friend who are changed more. 
In 2012, uh, two childhood best friends, Justin and Patrick, decided to make a pilgrimage um, along the Camino de Santiago. Uh, the Camino is a, if you don't know about it, it's a 500 mile long trail that winds through northern Spain. And people make pilgrimages um, every single year on this trail. Thousands of people uh, walk the Camino every year. And so it wasn't uncommon for Justin and for Patrick to decide to do it together. What was uncommon is that um, Justin lives with a progressive neuromuscular disease that confines him to a powered wheelchair. So when Justin asked Patrick what he thought about them doing the Camino together, Patrick said, I'll push you. And this is probably like the most chill part of the Camino, just FYI. Like the Camino is rough at places. I mean, you're, you're climbing, there's rocks, there's mud, some pretty rugged terrain. There's a documentary about their journey that I highly recommend watching. It's, it's entitled, I'll Push You. But I realized something as I was watching this documentary, as I was watching this friendship unfold across the 500-mile journey. And it's this. It, it was obvious to see that uh, Patrick was the one who was literally pushing Justin. That was obvious. But Justin was, um, Justin was also pushing Patrick, too. Early in the film, you can tell um, how reluctant Patrick was um, to receive help from any of the fellow pilgrims that they were meeting along uh, the way. He's described as a really dependable person, a reliable person, someone uh, who helps his friends. And he kind of takes on the responsibility to, to push Justin as just his burden to bear, which means that um, Patrick doesn't really know how to receive help. He only knows how to give it. And there's this part in the documentary, the last part of the trip, Patrick was really struggling. His legs were kind of giving out. He was exhausted. I mean, they'd been doing it for like four weeks already. His body was breaking down, and they still had one of the hardest sections of terrain to cross. And they started to talk about looking for a detour, detour around this kind of hard section so they could just kind of be, be done with it. And as they reached this Spanish town, which was kind of the last little town before the trail got really rugged again, they discovered that there was about 10 or 12 fellow pilgrims waiting for them. These were people that they had kind of met along the way. And um, over the course of their conversations, like this is not common to do, to stay and wait for someone. Um, but these folks had all reached this town and they knew that the next section would be literally impossible um, for Patrick and Justin. And so uh, they all took on this last part together. Um, you know, 10 people awkwardly kind of getting uh, Justin to where he needed to be all the way to the end of the, of the journey. And this was a moment of transformation. And I think it was the moment of transformation. And the person who was most transformed by it was not Justin, not the one who was being pushed, but it was for, for Patrick, who finally learned um, how to receive help from others. And it took that whole journey of him being a friend to Justin to finally let himself receive help. Friendship um, is a means of grace. And it changes everyone involved, those who offer it as well as those who receive it. Find a way to celebrate your friends. 
Check in on the people who matter to you. Take a risk. Then watch the miracle happen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.